0: Today, on the Word Preacher Podcast Progressive Rise, Progressive Fall, and Wisdom and Foolishness. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week is going to have us finish up 2 Samuel and uh, start on 1 Kings. Um, There's uh, a little bit we talked about last week when we talked about the rise of David from this very low point. He hit that low point when he was running from Saul for his life. He had almost no food, no weapons. His wife Michal kind of helped cover his escape. And he ate of the show bread um, from the priest Ahimelech and took the sword of Goliath. uh, And then all of the priests who had helped him, except for Abiathar, were slain at the order of King Saul. So David He couldn't stay in his own country, and the only alternative was the land of the Philistines where he had to feign insanity to avoid the scrutiny of Achish, the king of Gath. Alone, having lost everything, having done nothing wrong, David was at a low point, and he began to progress. This was not an overnight ascension to the throne. This was a series of small events that accumulated over time um, and, uh, and led him to become king, a beloved king in all Israel. Let's talk a little bit about, about that process, this progressive rise that David experienced. Um, of course, King Saul's insanity um, helped to win David some more loyal followers. Saul was not uh, with it, uh, and at the end he was hiding himself, going to consult the witch of Endor. So he wasn't he wasn't all there. Um, and after having lost his wife Michal, he married two other women, Abigail and Ahinoam, um, and uh, additionally. Other people began to see uh, that that David was a good guy, that he was unjustly accused, and they supported him. Eventually, as his forces grew, uh, he was able to go back to Gath, and King Ahish um, allowed him to stay of his own free will there around the land of Gath in the area of the Philistines to vex Saul um, and his Forces grew more and more. The Philistines eventually overcame Saul. Saul killed himself. Uh, But just because Saul was dead didn't automatically mean that David became king of all Israel, even though he had been specifically anointed by Samuel the prophet. Um, Now, he was, there was a ceremony in which he was anointed king uh, over Judah at Hebron. Uh, but the son of Saul, Ishbosheth, was considered king of Israel. He having the support of Abner, the captain of Saul's armies. So most of Israel was still kind of with the house of Saul. Um, another thing that is kind of of note that I thought I'd mention, the name Ishbosheth, uh, which not only is fun to pronounce, but it's probably wrong. It's probably not what his name was. His name was probably Ishbaal. But for reasons we'll talk about uh, in our next week's podcast, Baal, speaking Baal, became a shameful name. And so this term bosheth, which means shame, was replaced in some places. And we'll see that um, a little bit later. There's a reference to Gideon Baal which meant let Baal prevail. We talked about that during the judges. It's changed in a passage in 2 Samuel uh, 11, uh, where Joab is giving a report, and he calls him Jerubasheth, not Jerubbaal, Jerubasheth, which has a similar thing. Uh, And it's supposed to infer, or you're supposed to infer that um, it's probably Baal. But uh, they changed it because they don't want to speak Baal. That's a shameful name. Um, So David uh, was continuing to grow. He ensured that he adhered to good principles. He did not forsake his principles in this process. Uh, It was God first with everything. And that meant even recognizing his enemy Ishbosheth was not a bad man, but he was also not the man that the Lord had anointed to be king of Israel, which was also important. Um. So one of David's supporters, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, he's you know morally gray at best. Joab's brother uh Asahel pursues after Abner the captain of Ish- Ishbosheth's guard um and uh he's he's in a situation where even though it's kind of a battle Abner warns him stop pursuing i've got to escape and I'm going to defend myself and Asahel refuses so Abner slays him in this battle in order to escape um, and uh, the result of these, we're continuing to see the house of Saul kind of lose, and David's supporters are starting to win and pick up momentum. Uh, a verse that stands out is in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. This is a progressive shift. It doesn't happen all at night. Persistent, holding to goodness and correct principles were the key to this transition. Eventually, Ishbosheth is in a situation where he accuses um, Abner of impropriety with one of Saul's concubines. And that infuriates Abner. So here he is, the guy who's supposed to be king, Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. And to his face, Abner is not afraid to say exactly what he intends to do. This is worth reading some of these verses. Second Samuel, uh, uh, this is going to be verses eight through 11. Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth, and said, Am I a dog's head, which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren, and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba." And he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. So to the king. Abner says, I'm done, and I'm going to go help David become king and replace you. And the king was afraid to respond. Now, true to his word, Abner reaches out to David. And David demands, in exchange for this meeting, the return of his wife Michal, the daughter of Saul, in order to meet with Abner. uh, Even though Saul had given Michal to be the wife of another man. Michal's second husband wept as he was losing his wife, but Abner wasn't messing around. He was powerless to stop Abner. He sent that guy away and brought Michal back. Abner and David made peace, and Abner agreed to unite Israel behind David's reign. Now, Joab had been out on uh, some other business uh, in in some other battles. And he finds out that David has met with Abner, the captain of Ish-bosheth's forces, and he's livid. Because, and he tells David, uh, Abner's just deceiving you. Well, secretly behind David's back, he arranges for some of his servants to tell Abner that he wants to speak with him. And privately, when he gets there, he murders Abner for the loss of his brother, Asahel, who Abner slew in battle to escape. Um, so one was a legitimate you know, battle situation. The other was cold-blooded murder. Now two of Saul's captains learn that Abner has been killed, and they decide they're gonna earn some favor, so they sneak up on Ishbosheth himself as he's in bed, and they kill him and take his head to David, thinking that they're going to earn great honor for slaying his enemy. Um David is not thrilled with this news. He's holding to his principles, and this is worth reading his response in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. "'When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings.' How much more, when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take away, take you away from the earth? So he, he tells him, what you did was murder. And he has these conspirators executed. He's um, very clear to show that this is not a power move um additionally david mourns and holds a, a great mourning ceremony for abner to to demonstrate he was not behind the death of abner this was all joab now he doesn't take joab out of his position um but uh, he distances himself from this murder This gradual increase was the path of David, holding to correct principles, transformed him from being a destitute man, begging for bread from the priests and feigning insanity in the land of his enemies, to becoming the beloved and undisputed king of all Israel. Okay, let's talk a little bit about falling. Sometimes the fall of a man is quick. There is a story about this in 2 Samuel 6. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God." So this is an important story. If we think that God is actually in control, if he's running the show, we don't need to worry about steadying the ark. No, instead we need to show faith that God actually does call people by prophecy and empowers them the way that he sees fit. It's vital that we find satisfaction in doing the best that we can with the talents that God has given to us, and not to concern ourselves overly with what we might do differently with the talents that God has given to our brother. Sometimes the fall of man is quick, but usually it's something a little bit slower. One other note before we move on to that Uh, David offers to build a temple, but by Nathan the prophet, he's told that his son will establish a house for the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon later declares that the reason for this was the many wars which surrounded David. And that's important not to say that, you know, if you fight in a war, you're not a good person. You're not temple worthy. I mean, obviously, Captain Moroni, Mormon, Gideon, Moses, Joshua, many others fought in wars and were still righteous. Likely, the Lord knew what was coming for David. And so even though Nathan at first told him it would be fine to do what was in his heart, he sent Nathan back and told him to wait. Now, to honor the promise that uh, David had made to Saul to preserve his seed, he ensures that Mephibosheth, again the Bosheth ending, the son of Jonathan is cared for. He's still trying to be that man after the Lord's heart that Samuel was moved by the Holy Spirit to anoint as king. David's fall begins in a quiet moment. A lot has been read into this moment, but there's really just five verses that describe it. Let's read them. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at eventide that David arose from off his bed, and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself." And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and said, And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. These are the verses. There are many who are eager to say, oh, Bathsheba was totally innocent. The sin was all David's doing. And I should mention that might be true. Bathsheba might have been forced into this situation. Um, On the other hand, it's also possible that she broke her marriage covenants willingly. We, we can't tell from what we have in these verses. We don't know what, what Bathsheba's motivation was. We know that she was with David. We know that she told him uh, that she was with child. We absolutely do know that David was in the wrong. At the time when kings go forth to battle is a phrase at the beginning there that implies David was in the wrong place. And when he encountered the sight of this woman washing herself, he could have turned away. He could have turned to one of his other wives. He had several. But instead, he inquired after the woman. And when she came in, when his servants brought her, he could have changed his mind and sent her away. But instead, he lay with her. And he knew that what he had done was wrong, because he immediately began to try to hide it. When he learned that Bathsheba was pregnant, he sent for Uriah. He told them to go home to his wife, hoping that they would be together and it could be just swept away. But Uriah refused. Knowing that Bathsheba would have a child and his crime might be known, because Uriah was not playing along... He came up with a desperate way to eliminate Uriah the Hittite. He wrote a letter to his morally gray captain, Joab, informing him to position Uriah at the front of the hottest battle so that he would be killed. And he sent that letter to Joab by the hand of Uriah. Joab did the thing that David asked and then sent word that Uriah had been slain. Bathsheba mourned for her husband, and then David came and married her. Nathan the prophet came in to see David and told him a story about a rich man with many flocks and herds who took a lamb from a poor man instead of using one of his own. When he heard the story, David was furious at this rich man who showed no pity, who robbed. Um, And uh, the response that Nathan gave is, uh, is really memorable. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord?" to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Immediately, this fall of David begins. He has a couple of children, Amnon and a daughter Tamar. Amnon lusted after Tamar, and he conspired and then forced her to be with him. And then after she had been with him, he hated her and set her out. And she wept, and it was awful. And David was wroth, but Absalom, his other son, was furious, and carefully and quietly Absalom plotted for two years to take revenge on Amnon, ultimately killing him. Having ordered his brother's death, Absalom fled the kingdom, fearing his father would have him killed. The same process by which David had grown when he adhered to good principles, caused him to lose everything as time went on. Uh, Even though Absalom and David eventually reconciled, the people grew to love Absalom over David, similar to how they had come to love David over Saul. And bit by bit, Absalom rises to power. David is forced to flee and live in exile with his followers as the kingdom falls into a great civil war. Eventually, in all the chaos, Joab, the morally gray captain, he finds Absalom caught in a tree after his riding with horses, and he kills him. That's not a win for David. Sure, he's got the kingdom, but he's lost this son that he truly loved. Death and war continually come upon David. There is no rest, just as Nathan prophesied. Eventually David grows old and prepares for death, and his son Adonijah sets himself up to be the next king. Even though David had named Solomon to be the next king. Bathsheba comes and they arrange to make sure that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, will be the next king. And those who have conspired with Adonijah are punished which includes finally getting rid of that morally gray Captain Joab, but also Abiathar, the priest who had fled after his father had saved David's life. Abiathar isn't killed by Solomon. Um, He's only saved because of that, but he's kicked out of office. Solomon begins his reign and desires wisdom above anything else, and that's praised by the Lord. He wasn't asking for wealth or to triumph over his enemies. He wanted to know how to be a good ruler. And as prophesied uh, by Nathan, Solomon builds a temple, a house for the Ark of the Covenant. The pattern is after the tabernacle. It's intended to be a permanent structure with fine workmanship. Solomon offers a beautiful dedicatory prayer in 1 Kings 8, asking for the blessings of the Lord to come from temple worship. This is similar to what we do today. But eventually, the Lord becomes a second priority, and He builds a great palace, and He marries many women for political purposes ends up with 700 wives, 300 concubines. And it is written that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. The wisdom that Solomon had, of course, was in keeping God first. And kind of like with his father, it's supplanted by his emotions, his strong emotions for women. Now, it's vital to understand it. These men were righteous men. David was chosen because the Lord looketh upon the heart. And still he succumbed to temptation. Don't underestimate the power of temptation. Don't think to yourself, oh, I'm strong enough to avoid it. The best of men have fallen. Protect yourself by avoiding anything that might lead you away from the Lord. Get help if you need to set your heart right, or help to avoid temptations that might lead you from what truly matters. The son of Solomon, Rehoboam, takes the advice of his friends instead of the experienced advisors when his people ask for a reprieve from the heavy taxes they had experienced in the latter part of Solomon's reign. Rehoboam, the new king, uh, threatens his people with greater chastisement. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. Um, the people do not receive this well. Uh, ten of the tribes immediately split from Judah and Benjamin, making Jeroboam the son of Nabat their king. And though there would be righteous kings in Judah after, every king of Israel would be listed as following after the sin of Jeroboam the son of Nabat, wherewith he made Israel to sin. The sin of Jeroboam was to prioritize political power over divine power, similar to how Solomon fell. He was worried about people worshiping in Judah and losing his political influence in the northern kingdom of Israel. So he set up golden calves in Dan and Beersheba and told Israel that they needed to serve them instead of the Lord. These golden calves were not removed until the ten tribes had been lost, carried off by Assyria. In the end, putting something else before the Lord, will always lead to decline. And it might be difficult to notice the increase or decrease that we're experiencing spiritually because it's gradual. But one day, David went from having nothing to being a beloved king. And one day, he went from being a beloved king to being on the run under the sword of his own son. Regularly check the direction in which you are progressing. And remember that if you are faithful, even if things are difficult now, you will one day find yourself standing before the Lord and receiving things that are better than your greatest imaginations. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, next week, we will be looking at uh, the end of 1 Kings, uh, looking at Elijah and the priests of Baal, my absolute favorite. Of course, there is a mountain of stuff we did not cover. Even though this is a little bit longer of a podcast, it is still worth reading all of this stuff individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on. Fight on.